You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dearly Father, God in heaven, we thank you so much for the beauty of camp meeting. We thank you for the wonderful friendly faces, the ability to connect, but also God to connect with you. And as we talk about knowing the time, I pray that we all may have open hearts to recognize how these things apply to us personally, how it applies to us in our own hearts and our own lives, in the lives of our families, our children, our churches, God, because we want to leave here um, not just the same way that we came, but transformed in order to continue to share the gospel with others. So please be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, our series is entitled The Great Mind Controversy, and it's a four-part series, and so we'll be here Sunday through Wednesday, and I encourage you, it really is a series, so I encourage you to come back, Um, but a little bit about myself so you know who I am and where I come from. Um, So my name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I work in Beautiful Minds Medical. Has anyone here heard of Beautiful Minds Medical? Okay, I got one person. Uh, It's a mental health clinic, Adventist faith-based clinic in Northern California. So I practice there. Um, Some of you may be familiar with Dr. Nedley. He'll be one of the speakers. He's about 10 minutes um, from us there in Northern California. Um, So I received my PhD in clinical psychology from Loma Linda University. And one of my passions is to learn how to integrate faith and psychology. Now, it's kind of interesting to talk about integrating the two because they're not really separate. We treat them as separately, but they're not. And really, when we look at the Bible, the Bible clearly shows us that they're one and the same. God cares for us to be whole. Now, especially when we talk in the church, unfortunately, we have also separated the two. And so my passion and my joy is to share, especially in Christian settings, um, how they're integrated And then to think about for us, right, how does that practically apply in our own lives? And so we're going to be talking about the great mind controversy. And the theme of the series, not just here, but the camp meeting at large, is knowing the time. So our theme text is Romans 13, 11, and you've been hearing this over and over again. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, this is going to be more interactive, and so if I ask you a question, it's not rhetorical. I encourage you to to respond. What comes to mind when we say knowing the time? Any thoughts? I hear whispers. Knowing that the time is near, that Christ is coming. I heard end times. What else? What comes to mind when you hear knowing the time? Prophetic time. Okay, I want to challenge you a little bit more to be more specific. We say end times, salvation, what really comes to mind? What does that look like practically? Yes. Okay. Okay, so being very specific about the timeline. I don't know about for you, but for me, I start thinking about the different headlines, right? When I think about knowing the time, I think about the signs of the end times. So you see here a couple of the most recent ones. We think about fires, we think about floods, we think about the war in Ukraine, right? We start thinking about a lot of these signs. And as Adventists, we like to talk about these signs. Why? Because that encourages us, right? That Jesus is coming soon. 
and even thinking about the mass shootings, if you look at the time we're living in, right, we can start thinking, wow, it's nearer than we ever thought before. But is knowing the time only about these signs? Is there something else that we're missing? And that's what I want you to start thinking about. When I think knowing the time, what does that really mean? Am I really aware of the times that we are living in? And the verse continues. It says, right, not just knowing the time, but it says now it is high time to awake. So if we don't know the time, are we able to be awake? No. So today we're going to be talking more about knowing the time. Now, it's kind of interesting, this theme. I presented at ASI Atlantic Union 2020 during COVID. Well, still kind of in COVID, but they had the exact same theme verse. Their uh, series was entitled Urgency, right? And this isn't new to us. We have always had a sense of urgency. And this theme verse, Romans 13, 11, is something we talk about a lot. And what's interesting is you see here kind of their outline is like, oh, we need to know the time in order to, be, to know what we need to do in order to use our talents. And we focus a lot on doing, 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 doing. But if we don't really understand knowing the time, then we're not going to fully be able to do what we need to do. Now, we talk about doing over and over again. So the question then becomes, what gets in the way? It's like it skipped here. Okay, so the question is, we've been talking about this as, for a long time as an Adventist church, but we still find ourselves a little stuck. So what gets in the way? So we're going to be talking about knowing the time. Now, many of you are aware of a lot of the mass shootings that have happened recently, right? What's interesting is if you look, if you just search the mass shootings in 2022, I don't know if you can see clearly, but look at the dates. June 5, June 5, June 5, June 5, June 4. There are many, many that we're not even aware of. There are many mass shootings. Now, I found this interesting. 156 days, at least 240 mass shootings. That's a lot. It says some 156 days into 2022. So just in 2022, the country has now seen at least 240 mass shootings, according to the Gun Violence Archive. That puts the nation on track for one of the deadliest years on record since the archive began tracking gun deaths. Right? It's saying that we predict 2022 to only get worse. One of the deadliest years that we've ever seen. Now, so we think about mass shootings. We also think about the virus, right? We think about the virus, and a lot of people were focused on the fear of the virus, the physical aspect of the virus. But are we missing something else? What else, what else happened during this virus that's concerning? There was an article recently um, pu published, May 18, on the Wall Street Journal. And if you look at the bottom there, it's quite interesting. It says, Joe Biden prefers to talk about racism and guns rather than face the real problem. So the question is, what's the real problem? It says in this article, emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic, America is overflowing with people suffering from a broad range of mental disturbance. Mental illness is the U.S.'s next pandemic. So it's interesting. We focus on the mass shootings, right? And it is alarming, but we forget about the underlying problem to a lot of these things. The article continues. It says, at one extreme, 
Buffalo mass murder suspect Peyton Gendron is another case study in how the U.S. looks past this problem. As with Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland um, mass murderer, it is being widely reported that Gendron was admitted to a hospital last year for mental evaluation, that signals were missed. And it goes on. It says people were not recognizing that a key underlying problem to these mass shootings are the signals that were missed or ignored of mental illness. And it continues, this column subject is not the psychotic young males whose outlet is killing. It is the emerging post-COVID reality that a slowly building crisis of poorly treated mental illness, anxiety, depression, and suicide is cresting just as the pandemic ends. So we are often focusing on the wrong problem. So let me ask you all, what do you think, other than the fear of the virus itself, what were some things that were highlighted during the pandemic? Some mental health issues, yes. Yes, a lot of confusion. Yes, a, a massive increase in suicides, especially among adolescents and females, yes. Isolation, you can see the dramatic impact of isolation. We are created to be social beings. So when many of us were afraid of an actual virus, we didn't realize that the bigger problem was isolation, suicide, disconnect, confusion. Yes, I saw a hand. Yes, drug and alcohol dramatically went up. Yes. Anxiety, depression. Yes. You could also hear of many uh, domestic violence, child abuse cases going up, right? You're stuck in the home. There's a lot of silence behind this. Yes. Yeah. So you notice that it's easy to get caught up with the mass shooting and gun violence. It's about guns. Or to get caught up in mask or no mask, uh, vaccination or no vaccination. But we're not seeing the real underlying problem. It, this is also in the article. It says, with the incidence of disorders and suicides rising, there will be postmortems on the damage done during the pandemic to young people. With their schools closed, some isolated from friends and disinterested, integrated inside social media sites like TikTok or the online cauldrons that seem to have consumed Peyton Gendron. All true, but some matters need settling. And it continues to talk about the wrecking mental health, especially among children. So when we talk about knowing the time, again, we're focused a lot on natural disasters. We're focused on wars, but we don't realize that a big part of knowing the time is recognizing the mental health crisis that we're in. So here are other kind of news headlines talking about cyberbullying, talking about transgender concerns, talking about abortion, talking about uh, protests and riots. All of these, the underlying theme to all of these, including protests and riots, hostility, anger, inability to control emotions, right? Even when people talk about, can we even trust the news anymore? There's confusion. Because underneath all of this is the mental health crisis. So part of knowing the time as Adventists is knowing that there's a mental health crisis going on. And what's, I know this article is highlighting that's coming out of COVID, but actually there was a crisis before COVID. I gave a, a seminar in 2019 on the mental health crisis. And so if it was a crisis then, what do we expect now? So let's talk a little bit more about this crisis. So this was pre-COVID. One in five individuals 
had a mental illness. One in five. That's already a lot. Now we can think, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. What was it after? Fifty、um, percent will suffer from a mental illness at some point in their life. At some point, fifty percent. So let's just kind of divide this room in half and say, you all here on this side will have a mental health disorder at one point in your life. One in twenty-five have a mental illness that substantially interferes with their life. So this is a significant, severe mental disorder. Now, with COVID, since the outbreak, we saw an increase in all sorts of mental health concerns. Sixty-seven percent reported higher levels of stress. Fifty-seven percent have greater anxiety. Fifty-four percent feel as if they're emotionally exhausted. Fifty-three percent say that they feel sadness day to day. Fifty percent more irritable. Forty-two report that their mental health has declined. So we can see a general increase in mental health concerns、um, after or during COVID. Here's a general anxiety went from eight percent to thirty-three percent. That's a huge jump. Depression six percent to twenty-six percent, and in general, looking at both of them, eleven percent to about forty-one percent. That's about half of us struggling with depression and anxiety. With suicide, this was pre-COVID.、Um, you'll notice that it's among the top leading causes of death. So you see here in the bottom, it's the number ten. But we also see that for young people, it's the second leading cause of death, only second to unintentional injury. Now, this isn't really correct because、um, a lot of times with the first category, unintentional in- injury. You're not really sure what's contributing, so there's some suicides that were not determined as suicides, and so it's most likely the number one leading cause of death. Think about that for a second. We think about, oh, these people are struggling with cancer, with other, you know, with heart disease, but are we talking about the pandemic of even suicide? This is scary, right? Suicide was the tenth leading cause of death, and then there were nearly 2.5 times suicides as homicides. Now the The news is often talking about murders and other things, but it's more likely,、uh, 2.5 times more likely. So that comes to about、uh, a suicide every 10 minutes. Isn't that sad? That's very sad. And I just want to pause for a second to say, there's no statistics that we see in our church, but generally, when you look at churches in comparison to the world, the statistics in mental health are often similar. Which is sad because it's easy to say, "Oh, well, this is not us. Our church is also、um, struggling with this." Anyone here, by show of hands, know somebody or have heard of somebody in our church that has attempted or completed suicide? Now, if you're in the front, I want you to kind of look around. That's a lot of hands, right? We know people, and that's sad. It's continuing, continuing. You notice here the trend. Is upward. So this is from about 1999 to 2019, and the trend rates have increased by 35 percent in only 10 years. Would you expect this to go up or down? It's going to continue to go up. So you can only imagine what COVID,、um, how COVID will impact these things. Now, again, when we think about the end times, we think about. Natural disasters, and we go maybe to Matthew 24, and we start talking about all the signs. But we forget that the Bible also talks about、um, the signs of the end times in reference to mental health. So I'm not going to read this whole verse. You can jot it down if you want. But it talks about having a debased mind, and then it starts 
um, basically describing um, these different individuals, which we often focus on murder and evil-mindedness, and we, we read this list and we say, that's not me. But I want to highlight a couple. It says they're untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, right? So if I'm holding anger or resentment against somebody, am I in this list, right? Unmerciful. We see this in our world today, right? A lot of the movements these days, right, it's kind of mixed. I'm not saying that those movements are not actually trying to find justice, but a lot of times it's advocating for unforgiveness, anger, and revenge. And so a lot of us can fall into these categories. And this verse I really appreciate because it just really describes the times that we're living in today. It says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. This is knowing the time. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Do you see more disobedience in children today? Right? And it continues, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. That's a key one in our society today. Kids are really struggling with self-control. Brutal, conceited, I skipped a line. Brutals, not lovers of the good. Do you see that today? Not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited. Now, this is another one. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, you might say, oh, I love God. That doesn't count. It says lovers of pleasure instead of, right? It kind of more so than God. I can be guilty of that at times, right? When I'm convicted of something and I choose to still do it, even though I know that it's not good for me. We live in a very pleasure-driven society today, right? Instant gratification, what you want, you get, especially for our young people. And so knowing the time is recognizing it's not just natural disasters, it's a mental health crisis that we're facing. Does anyone recognize any of these individuals? These are pastors, not in our denomination. Um, some have been mental health advocates that actually were open about their depression and were trying to help others fight it. And they all died by suicide, right? Yeah, they all died by suicide. The one um, in the middle on the left side with the two little ones, uh, he's probably the one that was most popular. He, uh, he's, he was posting videos about overcoming depression, and then it came out a couple years ago, before the pandemic, that he had died by suicide. Now, this poses a very difficult question for us. How can people with faith... How can people in the, with the hope of glory die by suicide? And then even people question, well, how can you really have depression or anxiety? I hear all the time, don't you just need to pray more? Don't you just need to do more devotional times? And you realize, and if you've known someone personally, you might say, I know their walk with God. It's really strong, and yet they're struggling. How? Because we just think, oh, if you're struggling, that means, you know, you're away from God even though the Bible talks a lot about people who are close to God and struggle. But we have this illusion that if we're strong in the faith, then we don't struggle. And so it also happens to people in the church. Now, I wanted to put these stats as well on pornography because it's also considered a pandemic in today's society. So here are a couple. Every second, about $3,000 is spent on pornography. To put that into perspective, the porn industry makes more than the NFL NBA and MLB combined. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 
right? That's huge. And why are they making that much money? Because people are consuming it. Um, every second, about 28,000 internet users are watching pornography. That's one in five mobile searches. Now, if you think about for a second why it's a pandemic, is people used to have to go somewhere, right? Go somewhere to a place to see something, or they used to have to go somewhere to rent a video. But now what do they do? It's in their pocket, right? It's so easy to, it's so accessible. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. That's regular, regular users. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the U.S., and 35% of those are downloads. The largest consumer of online porn is 35 to 49 years old men. 70% of men visit a porn site at least once per month. But also, it's often viewed as only men, but one-third of all internet porn users are women. And we see that women are tending to uh, use more and more of pornography. 33% of women ages 25 and under, that's really young, um, search for porn at least once per month. And then this is an interesting fact. Sunday and Thanksgiving are the most popular days to view pornography. Why do you think that is? They're not at work, okay. They're lonely. Why Thanksgiving? Isn't that a time to come together with family? If you don't have family, often people think pornography is just a sexual thing. It's an emotional thing. People are lonely. They're seeking connection. And so as we tend to have less connection, we're trying to seek more and more avenues to fill ourselves that are not actually filling, including pornography. Now, how does this impact the marriage and family life? 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest, an addiction, in pornographic websites. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Now, this is, of course, coming from a secular perspective to say that watching pornography is not adultery. So it's saying, oh, that increases your likelihood of then having um, outside marriage, outside of sex, outside of marriage. But we also know that pornography, from a biblical perspective, is also a form of adultery. So 47% of families in the U.S. reported that pornography is a problem in their home. 47%. And also know that there's some that are undetected. So how much more, right, if they did know what was going on? This is super, super disheartening. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 11 years old. And for a child, it's really difficult because they don't understand what it is. Right? They can't have that self-control. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 94, that's almost 100% of children being exposed by the age of 14. And more so now with social media. I have several kids that are clients, and they were exposed through social media, which you think, oh, it's only there, you know, for them to connect with their friends. But there are reels, there are other videos. um, And so we need to be very, very careful. Now, this only happens in the world, right? No. Here's some statistics. These are from Covenant Eyes. If you haven't heard of it, it's a software that, um, it's a website that has many different um, resources, but there's also a software that people can download that can help them um, 
be accountable in their trying to reduce their porn use. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation, 57%. And 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. 59% of pastors said married men seek their help for porn use. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with porn in the past 12 months. Only 7% of pastors report their church has a ministry program for those struggling with porn. Who here is aware of a program um, in one of our churches that help individuals struggle with porn? Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. You notice that nobody else rose their hand, right? That's sad, right? Uh, We do need these programs. Now, that's kind of from the perspective of pastor and people coming to the pastor, but we also see that pastors can struggle with this themselves. 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. It's sad. I remember when I was in college, um, the the pastor or chaplain at our school um, had mentioned that he had struggled or was struggling with porn, and it blew my mind. I didn't know. I thought it was just in the world. But the more and more that I talk to clients within our church, it is very, very common. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. And then you see there in the graphic, one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis. It's very, very sad. Knowing the time that we're living in, we recognize that we're in a mental health crisis. Now the question becomes, why? Why do you think we have a mental health crisis? Any ideas? Was that? Okay, Satan. Yeah, falling away from God. I saw a hand in the back. Yes, yes. Satan knows his time is short. Anyone else? Yes. Social media. Yeah, if you look at when social media and phones in general, smartphones came about, you see a a correlation with mental illness, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, which we see is coming from the originator of Satan, right? Now, many of us tend to answer that question. You all are very well educated and you went to the root of the problem of Satan, Most of us are trying to think about, well, what are the things that contribute to mental illness? What are the risk factors? So Dr. Nedley, he came up with a 10-hit hypothesis, which basically looks at the 10 main common things that contribute to mental illness. And you see here a list. Genetics, right? You might have a predisposition towards having a mental illness. But notice before I continue, because when I start giving, going through this list, people start saying, I have a genetic predisposition. I have this. I have this. And they start diagnosing themselves. Um, you need to have four or more, right, to have kind of this higher likelihood, probability that you can develop a mental illness. So it's risk factor, not that for sure you're going to get something. But genetically, you may be predisposed, uh, developmental, meaning childhood occurrences, lifestyle, right, we emphasize that a lot in the church, our circadian rhythm, our sleep, our body has a clock, 
addiction, nutrition, toxins in the environment, including like mercury, um, social or complicated grief, loss of a loved one, medical conditions, and frontal lobe conditions as well. So here's, these are kind of a general outline of the different things. Uh, but really, if you look at what's common theme in all of that, it's the great controversy, right? So Satan attacking us through our genetics, right? You mentioned that 6,000 years, right? Not just normalizing sin, but just even the, the degradation of our, our body and our, and our minds. So we're going to talk more about the great controversy and how that plays into our mental health. Because often we think about the great controversy only from a spiritual perspective, but how does that apply to our mind and our mental health? So the great controversy, let's just kind of briefly review this. Like what is, what is it? Who's involved? And here are a list of different um, verses that I encourage you to turn to. But Revelation 12 kind of highlights a big component of the different aspects of the great controversy. So it talks about how a war broke out. Where did this war first take place? In heaven. And who was this war between? Satan and Jesus, right? And they're battling. Now, we often will have these pictures of them battling, but the, war, the word for war means kind of a war of ideas, right? We already can see it's like this over our minds, including for the angels who's trying to convince through the mind of who God was. And so we see that there's this, um, this conflict, and then it, it says that the great dragon was cast out, right? The devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast where? To the earth, right? And so initially we have Satan and God as the main characters, but then it's transferred to earth. And so who's introduced as another primary character? Me, right? You. We're caught in this battle. And again, we think from a, a spiritual perspective, but also how does this apply to our mental health? And the Bible's very clear that the war continues to this day. First Timothy talks about there's a warfare. Second Timothy, again, warfare, that we're a soldier. And two of my favorite verses, Ephesians 6.12, really highlights the great controversy in relation to mental health. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How does this apply to our mental health? Okay? And apply what you just said to our mental health. Yeah. So, again, I hope that we start reading these verses not just from a physical health perspective anymore, but from a mental health. If we know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood then the diseases that we struggle with, it's not just about physical diseases. It's also about him attacking my mind. Yes. 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 And we're going to talk about the importance of changing our thoughts because, well, I'll get to that in a little bit. But yes, he can definitely suggest thoughts to us. Um, what was that? Yes, it makes us feel hopeless, definitely. This is a similar verse. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, right? I'm human being, I'm here in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh, meaning the battle that I'm struggling with is here, right? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. And you see how this is related to our mind. For pulling down strongholds, casting down 
arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then it gives you a solution here, bringing every thought into captivity. Interesting, huh? It doesn't say, oh, we have a war and therefore read the Bible more or just pray more. It's not talking only from a spiritual perspective. It's talking from a mind perspective. Keep every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is going to be our our main theme for our third part in the series, freedom through captivity, how we can have freedom from our thoughts by keeping them captive to Christ. So we need to get to know our adversary better, right? If I know that my mental health problems are not just mental health, it's not just in the flesh, it's also a spiritual battle, then I need to understand who the adversary is. 1 John 3, 8 says that he sinned from the beginning. And then this is my favorite verse in relation to the adversary and mental health. John 8, 44 says he was a murderer from the beginning, which already you can think about, did he murder Adam and Eve? What does it mean he's a murderer from the beginning? We read these verses, but do we really understand what they mean? Mm -hmm. And did they die in that moment? No, but believing lies can lead to ultimate death. Believing lies about God and being, believing lies about yourself, right? Eve believed the lie that she wasn't good enough. That's why she needed something else. So he's the murderer from the beginning. Did I hear a comment? Yes. Yes. Yes, of course. And it continues. It says, because there's no truth in him, When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. He is the father of all lies. So for example, how do you apply this with our mental health? If I believe a lie about myself, where did that come from? Satan. So I stub my toe and I'm like, oh, you're so stupid. Where did that thought come from? And we say, oh, it's just a thought. But that thought is a lie, and that comes from Satan. I'm believing Satan in that moment. That just takes a mental, a simple little thought to a great controversy cosmic level. Right? If I believe a lie about a church member, where's the lie from? Satan. Right? So when we go back to think about mass shootings and we think about these other signs of the end times, the anger, hostility, who's behind it? Satan. Not just on a global level, but on a personal level. What are the influences that Satan has had in my own life, with my own mental health? Zechariah 3 talks about how Satan is accusing us day and night before the Lord. Right? When we feel like we're not good enough for God, when we, feel, when we stray away from him, the author of that is Satan. Now, we read this verse a lot. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal kill, and destroy. How might this apply to mental health? Right? Think about that. He comes to steal my joy. Right? A lot of t- times we're like, oh, you know, yes, I'm a Christian, but we're kind of walking around like this, right? down, depressed, hopeless. Satan is trying to steal our joy. He's trying to kill us and to destroy us. And we'll come back to what Jesus has for us. And then another thing is we forget that he is constantly working. Why we're struggling as a church with our mental health is because we forget that this is a great controversy. We forget, oh, he's always trying to make me feel hopeless. He's always trying. 
So when a brother or sister is struggling, we say, oh, you just need to pray harder. We're minimizing the impact of Satan. Now, we're not trying to magnify him, saying that he's better, bigger than God, but we also need to recognize that he is a legitimate, scary, vigilant foe. So the question then becomes, why does he attack the mind? Why not just the body? Exactly. If you think about, I mean, I don't think about this, but if you were to think about this, for any reason you needed to win a battle or war, you're going to think about where's the citadel, right? Where's the place that I can attack where I can have the most impact? And as Adventists, we focus a lot on the physical health. Oh, I need to exercise more. I need to eat well. I need to take care of my body. But really, what Satan is after, it's not the body, it's the mind. And here's why. When you look at all these different things, it's really attacking the mind. So we're going to go through each one, physical health, um, social health, and spiritual health. So if I have poor mental health, if Satan attacks my mind, it impacts my physical health. If you look at the research, it's fascinating um, for individuals who struggle with their mental health. So for example, anxiety if you have higher rates of anxiety, a lot of people have a lot of GI issues because when your body is anxious, it actually turns off your digestive system because your body's trying to conserve energy. The fight or flight system is on. And so a lot of people have undetected GI issues and they're like, what's going on? It's actually because of their anxiety. You attack the mind, you attack the body. Um, also, when you have poor mental health, you have cardiac problems. Uh, it's fascinating the research behind anger and cardiac issues, that you're more likely to have a heart attack if you're an angry individual. Um, anyone remember the, there's a verse that talks about dry bones, right? Proverbs talks about how we say, oh, a cheerful heart is good medicine, and we stop there, but a poor spirit dries the bones. We read that and we're like, okay, we rush past it. It's actually scientific. People who are depressed have higher rates of osteoporosis. The Bible's predicting, right, it's research of how osteoporosis can be linked to, to depression. Higher rates of obesity, respiratory problems, and even premature death. So people can die even decades before because of their mental illness. So when it says that he came to destroy, he literally is destroying the body through the mind. But we, we dismiss it. Oh, it's just a minor issue. Mental health is just a small thing. Right? You just get over it. It's all in your mind. But it attacks the body. Ellen White, she knew this, right? Nine-tenths of the diseases from which men suffer have their foundation here. Nine-tenths, 90%. And actually, the way that we address things, we're like, oh, let's address the body. 90%, we could probably say 90% of the ways that we address um, health in the Adventist church is the body. But she says nine-tenths start in the mind. Social health, the impact of poor mental health, you can see, results in poor family structures. We see more divorce. We see abuse, broken families. It is really, really sad how high the divorce rates are in our church, Right? It's because the root of it is poor mental health. Here's a, it's going to be a longer quote, but this is from Steps to Christ. She says, We sustain a loss when we neglect the privilege of associating together to strengthen and encourage one another in the service of God. The truths of his word lose their vividness and importance in our minds. Did you catch that? 
when we're not connected, we, our spiritual life is impacted. It says the truths of his word lose their vividness and importance in our minds. Our hearts cease to be enlightened and aroused by their sanctifying influence, and we decline in spirituality. Some of us in COVID, we got so used to being disconnected, I don't really need to go back to church. I can just study God's word on my own. I'm connected with God. But she's saying that our spirituality is negatively impacted if we, have, if we don't have that social connection. In our association as Christians, we lose much by lack of sympathy with one another. And it continue, continues. He who shuts himself up to himself is not filling the position that God designed he should. The proper cultivation of the social elements in our nature brings us into sympathy with others and is a means of development and strength to us in the service of God. So when we don't have good mental health, we're depressed, we're anxious, we isolate, and that isolation impacts our social connection, and that social connection impacts our spiritual health. Now you can think about how poor mental health impacts our spiritual well-being whether it's individually in our relationship with God, but also collectively within the church. So I'm a a pastor's kid, and that's actually a big component of why I'm a psychologist today, is because growing up, um, I was very blessed to have a family that was very open about church problems. Often pastors try too hard to shelter the children, that the children know what's going on, and they start hating the church members for attacking their father, for you know, doing different things. But my dad was open, and we'd talk about it. And he'd, he'd say, you know, Katie, you have to understand that hurt people hurt people. And so because I saw so much brokenness in the church, I started realizing, I, I felt called, God, I want to help because poor mental health leads to poor social health and poor spiritual health. Here we see another quote from Spirit of Prophecy. To make a success of Christian life, The development of sound minds in sound bodies is of what importance? Greatest, greatest importance, and yet we don't treat it as such. The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate with man and affect his inmost life. The only medium. So think about why is Satan attacking the mind? because he knows that he can destroy the body. Why does he attack the mind? Because he knows he can destroy relationships. Why does he attack the mind? Because he knows that that's a place in which you communicate with heaven. So of course, why wouldn't he attack the mind? It's the citadel of the entire human being. And so why are we, when we talk about knowing the time, not recognizing that the time is a mental health crisis. She even says to deal with minds is the nicest work, and later on says is the greatest work ever committed to men. I don't know about you, but I want to be involved in the greatest work. Are we engaging in the greatest work as Adventists, or are we ignoring the mental health crisis? So we see here that, yes, why the mental health crisis is the great controversy, but it's also signs of the end times. So going back to this verse, we see that a description of the last days are people who are struggling with their mental health. And we'll talk more about why, but today I just wanted to focus as an introduction of when it says, do this knowing the time, 
Knowing the time is no longer, I hope that you all leave here recognizing when we talk about signs of the end times and fires and pestilences, we can also start talking about the mental health crisis. That's a part of it, right? Therefore, then we will be able to awake out of sleep. Now, I wanted to end, we have about 14 more minutes with a couple of questions to kind of engage us more to think about how this crisis is impacting us personally. So how have you seen the mental health crisis impact your church's ability to engage in the Lord's work or your ability? You can think about it for a moment if anyone wants to respond. This is not to criticize the church. It's to say, yeah, I want to see how has it impacted us more personally, right? Because we could think mental health crisis is in the world. But if we don't start thinking about how it's happening in our church, right, we can't then help others if we ourselves are struggling, right? When it says, let your light shine, we're so burnt out that we don't have a light to shine. Yeah, so she highlighted... um, basically this concern for narcissism in the church, right? especially among leaders. And that problem is kind of dual in the sense of there are narcissists, um, but also I think we've become too trigger happy in the sense of now we're calling a lot of people narcissists and just labeling people um, without truly understanding what that means. And so, oh, I want a divorce because I'm married to a narcissist, right? So we don't want to be too quick, but also not too slow to recognize and identify problems in our churches. Yes. Yeah. So narcissism, um, we have to recognize there's an actual disorder of narcissism, and then there's kind of what it's loosely used for. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of the disorder, but a lot of the the kind of the highlights is it's a lot about self-seeking attention, a lot of self-seeking praise, if you basically read the chapters, you know, Isaiah 14, uh, Ezekiel 28, when it talks about Satan, that's kind of a, a biblical definition of narcissism. Yeah, very self-serving, a lot of control issues and so forth. Now, again, I want you to think both about within the church, but also for yourself. How do you think perhaps your mental health has impacted your ability to engage in the church? So, for example, for myself, I know that I'm often prone to perfectionism and overworking. And if I do that, that impacts myself negatively, my own mental health, but that also impacts my ability to engage in personal ministry. Because if I'm so focused on having perfectionism in my work, then I'm not able to engage personally like Jesus was in that one-on-one ministry. So think about how it impacts you also personally. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is so interesting because Ellen White, Spirit of Prophecy. So let me start with the Bible. The Bible talks so much about mental health, so much. I'm still learning about, you know, you think about uh, Elijah. We we go to him often. Depression, King Saul, bipolar. You can look at different, the woman at the well. There are many, many stories in the Bible that talk about mental illness. But then you also add on that spirit of prophecy, mind, character, personality, you know, bringing it all together is amazing. You know, I look at a lot of my textbooks and I'm like, oh, that's just exactly what Ellen White has already said. But we're not studying it because, as some of you've mentioned, we don't recognize that it's a problem for us. So we just like, oh, I don't need to read that. I don't struggle with that. Uh, And sometimes we are struggling with that. We don't even realize it for ourselves or we're not at this season in our lives. And so we just dismiss it. 
But if we start realizing, okay, if generally we're in a mental health crisis, I need to study this in order to be a better medical missionary. I need to study this in order to actually reach people in the world. We always say, oh, the right arm of the gospel, right? Physical health. If you look at the time we're living in, it's really mental health, right? So the question is, why are we asleep to these things? Culture? Yeah. Which all we see is Satan attacking us in many different angles, right? So a couple more just to reflect on how can we awake the church to the mental health crisis? So basically, as you leave here, you are all responsible of taking this education with you. So if you really want to fight this crisis, you all now are equipped with a little bit more understanding and insight. And then what is one thing you can do to bring awareness to the need of mental health within your church? Think about that. And I want you to actually pray about this and write down at least one thing. Because think about it, if each one of you leave here and do one thing, now not just in your church, your ministry, your home, and your own life and your heart, right? 50% of people struggle with mental illness at one point in their life. So many of you will struggle yourself. So what can you do one thing to bring awareness um, to the need of your men- of mental health? And then tomorrow, we're going to be talking about, it's entitled Brainwashed. We're going to be talking about the number one attack that Satan uh, uses to against our mental health. So the number one strategy he uses to attack our brains. That'll be tomorrow at 2.15. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word that gives us understanding that the time that we're living in is not just of natural disasters, but it's also of the mental health crisis. And we thank you because you give us awareness to that, but you also give us solutions. So God, I pray that as we leave here, that you may already provide some of those solutions, bring them to the hearts and minds of these individuals, that they can go home, that they can go to their different spheres of influence and impact them in in a mighty way. Um, I also pray for each of them as individuals, God. Um, Heal their own hearts, their own brokenness, and bring us back together tomorrow to further learn of the enemy, but also of your important truth prescriptions. We love you, we thank you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.